I'm Bill Small. And I'm Miles Hansen. Welcome to The Subtle Art of Not Yelling. A conversation about growing a business without needing to be the loudest person on the block. Less noise, more... (sighs) How exactly does one go from working in the music business to becoming a resident in a Zen monastery for two years and then building a six-figure executive coaching business. We're going to find out today when we talk to Toku McCree. Okay. Yeah. Right. I don't know, you kind of look like you have a hangover because it's so dark. <laughs> I do. <laughs> I do. I usually wear hats and I'm trying not to wear hats so much. So this is a really vulnerable state for me, Toku. So I would yeah. appreciate the support. <laughs> I'm I'm not a yes to that, Miles. I'm sorry. <laughs> I need a haircut too. Let's be honest. Oh come on! Don't, you, aren't you one of those guys who just constantly is like pulling his hair out of his face? No. Just like, oh, I don't, it's just so I, hard to live in Southern California. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're he right, actually yeah. is that guy. He's just trying not <laughs> to be to while we're on camera. <laughs> I've had him here in my house, and that's pretty much what he did the whole time. He just played with his hair, you know. Yeah, it's it's a rough life, you know. I mean, there oh, was a the time way, I had long hair, but it was all my hair. My hair, like my beard, is very thick, so it never like did the. Your hair's kind of nice and straight, so you can do that. My hair would like just blow up. It would be crazy. Right. It was awful. <laughs> right. Yeah, my ten-year-old actually judges other people's height on miles. Are they mm. taller than miles or shorter than miles? No way. Yes, I'm on because I think Miles is the tallest person he's ever met. <laughs> how, how tall are you, Miles? I'm six five. He's disturbingly Plus a tall. Little, maybe a little more. I don't remember you being that tall, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know that it didn't register with me that you were super tall. <laughs> well, all of my all of my good close guy friends are super tall. I don't know uh, why, but they're all like it, six. Foot it eight. registered with me because it annoyed me. Yeah. Well, you Bill's know, taller. Well, Bill, Bill's tall. tall too. Yeah. I'm tall, but he's taller. Yeah. And it makes me feel weird. You know. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm not very tall, so I guess it doesn't really register with me. <laughs> You're used like, to people being taller than you. Everyone's everyone's tall. Yeah, I'm five. I'm four. not. So I don't like I'm not I'm not used to people. I mean, I'm like, whatever, people are taller than me. What's interesting is that when people who know me online meet me in person, they're like, wow, you're not as tall as I thought you'd be. I thought you'd be bigger. Yeah. Well, and it's, <laughs> I had another guy, a friend of mine who was short. He was like, I've never met. I, he said, the first time I met you, I was like, oh, you can be short and confident. I was like, yes, it is possible. <laughs> I mean, most short guys have a real complex about That's it. True. You know, it's yeah. like a real, yeah. it's a real thing. So, I mean, I did yeah. for a long time. I just did work to get over it, but it's like, um, yeah, it doesn't even register to me. I'm like, you know, okay. Wow. Should, should we do an interview? <laughs> no. <laughs> This is all radio gold and we're missing it right now, guys. Oh, we're recording. <laughs> oh, my God. No. No, I don't keep it all, but I record everything. No, it's okay. We can, you can use it all. I don't care. You know, the first time I heard you was on another podcast. And mm-hmm. uh, I, there were two things I was really struck by. One, and you just mentioned part of it, is the work that you've done mm-hmm. on yourself mm-hmm. uh, and that it occurred for me, and you can tell me if this is wrong, that you're a geek for coaching. Mm. Like, like, just, and I mean that in the best way, like, like oh, yeah. the nuts and bolts of it, like how it works and how to do it and how to do it better. And I have to say that as someone who's been a coach for a long time, it's not something I run into a lot. Yeah. And oftentimes when people are offering 
programs or training for coaches, it's so based around uh, get more clients, mm. not what do you do when you have them mm. and how do you be really great once you get them. Yeah. I don't see a lot of that. And, yeah. and that's, I got that from you in the first like five minutes mm. of listening to you speak. Mm. And that made me go, okay, I, w- I want to hear this guy and I, I want to meet this guy. We need oh. this guy on the podcast because it was too cool. So um, you came to coaching other people in an interesting way. Would you mind just giving us the, some version of that? Yeah, that's some version of that. I mean, I think I've, I've always been fascinated with, with truth and the, the big questions in life my whole life. I mean, I remember learning about the theory of relativity when I was young and just sort of kind of amazed that human being could deduce these truths about reality. Um, I did, I did a lot of debate in, in, um, in high school and what's called values debate, Lincoln Douglas debate, or, or discussing and arguing over morals. And so I was fascinated with that. I went to philosophy camp, which is probably the geekiest, dorkiest thing you can ever possibly do, but I went to philosophy camp. Wait a minute, wait uh, a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> There is such a thing called <laughs> philosophy camp. There's not. And a, where can I sign my kid up for this? This is awesome. I don't know if it exists anymore. My so my aunt is a award winning was an award winning teacher in Colorado, and CU Boulder ran a philosophy camp one year, and it was like five of us. I don't think it was a very big draw. That's not still just the kids. coolest thing I've ever heard of. That's awesome. Yeah, Go ahead. I'm yeah. sorry. So it was no, it was great. It was great. I went to philosophy camp. So. Um, so anyway, I've always had that fascination. And I went to college and studied philosophy. I majored in philosophy. thought I wanted to be a philosophy professor. So I realized how much I would have to write and read and write papers about Kant. And I was just like, it's, you know, Kant's great. But at a point, I'm like, okay, I'm tired of doing this. And then I, and then I, um, I kind of pursued truth in, into music. So I worked in the music business for eight years. And that, I mean, that would actually inform my coaching later on, getting to work with really successful people and the challenges that they face and, so I did that for eight years. Never as what a musician. What did you do in the music business? Yeah, yeah. So I um, kind of did everything. I worked for a distribution company. I worked for a record label. I was a guitar tech and a stage manager for the Gin Blossoms. Shout shout back to an old ba- old old band. Yeah. Um, not in their heyday. I'm not quite that old. But um, uh, and then I was uh, I did, did merchandise. And then I, my last job was I was a house manager at a for a venue in Portland. So I kind of did I kind of did everything you know except perform. Um, and then got burnt out on that. There's a whole story about how I left the music business, which I won't get into now, but um, was looking for something different and um, met a guy who was just really calm and peaceful. His being was very present and impactful at a party. And I was like, what's this guy's deal? Because he was 23 and I was 28. And I was like, this guy knows something that I don't know, which bothered me. Um, it's like, uh, Bill, like for you, for you, it's like it bothers you people are taller than you. I get bothered when people know things that I don't know or have a being that I can't replicate. I'm just like, fuck. So I started talking to him and he's like, oh, I've been living at the Zen monastery. And so then he, he invited me to come to meditation and started doing Zen meditation, ended up moving into the monastery. I lived there for two and a half years as a Zen monk. So we can talk about that in a minute. Everyone wants to talk about that always, um, which is fine. And then from that experience, um, left asking this question, which is, you know, how do I, how can I be of deep and fundamental service to people who are walking the path of awakening? How do I serve those people? And I tried a lot of different things. I was a preschool teacher for a while. I worked on some political campaigns. 
and then got into personal training because I was doing triathlons and started to realize that the conversations I was having with people about business and life while working out with them were these really incredible conversations, you know, like conversations that would shift the way people saw things and, and relate to their lives in a different way. And I was like, okay, I want to do this. How do I have this conversation with people? And so then I went from personal training into coaching and eventually into executive coaching. And so um, I wasn't like, I didn't wake up one day and like, I'm going to be a coach. It was like, sure. okay, it's just following breadcrumbs basically. And how did you actually, uh, obviously your experiences would have informed a lot of this, but how did you actually train yourself or get trained to coach people more formally, not, you know, in the way that you were? Yeah. So, um, I mean, most of my training did come from the monastery. Sure. There's a way that the Zen masters and the teachers there work with people and looking at thoughts. And, and then there was also a lot of retreats there. So I did retreats in nonviolent communication, voice dialogue, mindful eating. So gotcha. I, I had had all of those things. So I had, you know, I could do voice dialogue with people. I could do nonviolent communication. I could do, we did goal setting. There was a goal setting workshop. So I got a lot of education there. And then I, um, because I was a personal trainer, I went through a yoga teacher training and then, you know, personal training has a process, you know, what we yes. do, what's the change, what's the process to get there. So I was able to kind of combine those two things. And then most of my, most of my training or skills as a coach is basically stolen from the people that coach me. Yeah. That's my number one way I learn. A lot of coaches are like, well, I've done training. How do I get better? I'm like, hire a great coach and just steal everything they do with yep. you. <laughs> and so, um, my coaching is basically just stolen from all the people who work with me. Cause I, I'm mm-hmm. even as a client, I'm not satisfied just like getting the thing. I'm like, I want to get it. And I want to understand how you got me to get it so that I can do it again. And so, um, and that's why, I mean, the first coaching business I had to work with coaches with a coaching Jojo, it's based on that theory, basically that like the skill of coaching is not based on education. It's not about reading yes. something in a book. It's, Let's take a theory. Let's take a question. Let's take a hypothesis. Now let's go try it out with a client. See how it works. Where's the gap? Okay, what can I do to improve that? How do I learn from everybody all the time? How do I get training? But then apply that training because it's you know, coaching is really a set of it's a being first, yeah. and then second, it's a set of soft skills of how to work and be with people. And the only way to improve that is through practice. You can't read about being in a book and get it. You can't read about soft skills in a book and get it. You have to go out and do it and be it, and that's the only way to get better. Wow. Let's, um, I have a big question that kind of, it'll, it'll weave in, in and out of your story. Cause I, I still want to get to like where you are today, but sure. one of the biggest questions that I think is bouncing around out there, uh, or at least, uh, yeah, topics is that the coaching industry is oversaturated and it's like blowing up and every anyone and everyone can call themselves a coach and i want to like break this down so first i'll just ask you point blank what is a coach yeah well i want to start off with just a little bit of context so i used to be one of those people that was like the coaching industry is oversaturated and there's anyone could be a coach and this, there's so many bad coaches. I, I own for a while the URL, no more shitty coaches.com. So like that gave you some context. <laughs> and then I, and then I had this shift. I was like, okay, so what's actually happening when people become coaches? Hmm. So when people become coaches, they're like, they have a desire to do something different that has an impact on the world. They want to help people. And they're curious about having a deeper conversation about life 
more than the regular conversation. Mm. So let's just take that as an intention. Yeah, that's an amazing intention, right? If my options are like, I'm going to be totally capitalistic. I'm just going to try to like get, you know, how do I exploit labor? How do I do X, Y, and Z to get the most money possible? I'm just going to become a Bitcoin trader. Oh no, I actually want to do something in life where I work with people and have meaning. Okay. Why is it a problem if that's oversaturated? (laughs) Isn't that what we want over? Do we want an oversaturation of oil, oil barons? Like, you know, so I'm like, now I'm kind of like, Hey, the people that Sure. It's like anything else. People have an intention to do meditation. They get all, you know, they get the stench of the Buddha on them, the stench of Zen on them, or they have a desire to exercise and they, you know, crash right. diet. So the, the way it manifests is the way humanity manifests everything, which is complicated, problematic, and variable. The intention is beautiful. So why shouldn't we praise, encourage anyone who, you know, whatever, let's everyone be a coach. Awesome. You know, why not? Why would that be a bad thing? So th- that's, I get that complaint and I've, I, and I did a lot of work to shift that of like, okay, can I just see the, the beauty in this? So that's one. So then the question too, is what is a coach? Mm-hmm. Um, the being of a coach is the being of someone who stands for possibility in the face of humanity. So it's, I am standing in the place for my client that who you authentically are, the essence, who you are, that if you choose to become that and live that into the world that you can create for yourself and for others, a world that is more wise and compassionate than it was when you stepped into it. So that's the being of coach. And a lot of people don't get that because they're just trying to do coaching. Mm. So that's the being of coach. To me, that's the ideal. Yeah, I, I, yeah, that I love number one that, that that's where you went first and not to any doing. Yeah. Um, because it is, it's, it's, I just had this, con- this conversation with um, a client of mine who is thinking that they might want to coach people. I said, okay, great. Well, the first thing you got to get is who you're going to be in that. Um, and you said something about standing for. And that's what I love. You're standing for another human being. You're standing for what's possible for them. Has nothing to do with you. As a matter of fact, I always say when I get on a coaching call, I'm not really there. All of my stuff is over to the side. Hmm. I don't bring my my stuff. I have stuff. Yeah. Not me. I've become fully. I know. I know you don't. Well, you. you All the other coaches. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, That old Zen you know, bullshit, whatever you're, you're, you're all transformed. That's great. Um, but (laughs) you know, I have stuff, but it doesn't belong in that conversation. And that actually takes something, you know, that, that is a skill you have to learn uh, how to put your stuff to the side and actually be with another person so that you can hear whatever is there. long ago we recorded a podcast and we talked about shipping our work and how many things we've started but failed to finish we talked about exercising our creative muscle and being consistent we talked about perfectionism and procrastination and we both got very real about how we work and the things about how we work that just don't work 
we realize that in order for either one of us to move things forward, we need a container, structure, boundaries, a clear target, accountability, support, feedback. That inspired us to create The Box. So what's The Box? The Box is a workshop for creatives. It solves problems like unfinished work or lack of sharing or being able to promote or sell your work, unorganized action, wasting energy, that lone wolf syndrome, going it alone. We're planning on launching this in the first few months of this year. So if you want to move your creative work past where you usually stop, just visit theboxworkshop.com and find out more. In the box, you'll finish what you started. So Toku, you got into, you became clearly very passionate about this direction uh, for yourself and coaching others. And um, what happened then? You got into it and you started coaching people. How, what happened then? Um, well, so the first thing I did is I made a bunch of mistakes. So I hired a, I hired a marketing coach <laughs> and the marketing coach said, well, you need an, you need an ultimate result. I was always like an <sighs> ultimate result or a proven system, right? Well, I mean, I get it. Like people will buy that. So, I mean, there's truth, there's truth in it. So you need an ultimate result. So I would, you know, Hamden hot and I wanted to do coaching around mindfulness. I mean, it made sense. I had been a Zen monk and so, or lived as a Zen monk. I wasn't ordained. So, um, and so I, my ultimate system was mindfulness and happiness, you know? And so I did a 30 day mindfulness and happiness challenge and, um, uh, attracted a bunch of people, a hundred people signed up for my 30 day mindfulness and happiness challenge. And all of them were incredibly depressed and anxious people. Because what I discovered was that when you, the people that are hyper-focused on happiness are very unhappy, mm. even though we all want happiness. People who are executives or entrepreneurs, they think, okay, well, I'll do X, Y, and Z, and then I'll get to happiness. So if you dangle happiness in front of people, that's just too, it's, you know, that's a secondary thing people look at, even though we all want it, it tends to be a secondary thing. So I, Mm -hmm. I I coached, I mean, I was deceptive. I'll be honest. I was deceptive. I gave away coaching to like 10 people, but I secretly just gave it away to everybody. So everyone thought they were the 10 people. So I ended up coaching, you know, probably 70 people. And it was, I mean, it was great practice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Cause I could just, just, just hours in the mat coaching, what works, what doesn't work. And I mean, God bless those people. I'm sure it was just awful coaching, you know, cause it was brand new. I didn't really know what I was doing. And, um, so I learned a lot from that. And then I was, I was sitting in, in meditation at the, at the Zendo I used to sit at in, in Portland where I lived. And I was like, Oh, I'm just doing this all wrong. I just had this epiphany. I'm doing this all wrong. And so I fired my marketing coach and got rid of all of that and went back to personal training. And I said, well, who are the people in personal training that I really loved working with? And it was all startup founders and executives. And I was like, okay, well, I liked working with those people as a trainer. I liked talking about their businesses. Okay, what would happen if I just focused on working with those people? And I discovered that my experience in the music business was really valuable because what I learned in the music business was, I mean, it's great to be a rock star, but it's actually incredibly isolating, right? You don't get an honest reflection about who you are. Everyone kind of caters to you in a weird way that tends to distort your personality and ego. And it's, it's really lonely to have someone who's both loving to you, doesn't need anything from you, but also is challenging you to be your best self. And so I was able to take that experience and combine it with this other stuff and start to work with founders and executives because that's a lot of the challenges they face. So, um, so I, I did that and um, I read The Prosperous Coach, which is a, 
good, bad coaching book. There's things I love about it, things I don't love about it. But what I liked, it, what did work about the Prosperous Coach is the steps are very simple. It's like, okay, here's how you build a coaching practice. You connect, invite, create, propose. You got to connect with people. You got to invite them into coaching. You have to serve them really powerfully. And then you have to ask them to work with you. Yes. And so I said, okay, I'm just going to master each stage of this. I'm just going to get really good at connecting. How do I just, how do I, what does it take to just connect with people? to have them feel gotten and understood. And I'm just with them and like, okay, how do we get good at connecting? And at first I was awful. I was trying to sell them coaching right away. So I okay, get really good at connecting. And then I was like, okay, how do I get really good at inviting them? How do I transition that connection into like, hey, would you want to work with me without being all weird about it? So I got good at that. And then I got, I was practicing the coaching the whole time, right? But how do I just create something with them that's really powerful? What's the kind of coaching that really impacts people? So I got better at that. And then proposing, how do I, have a conversation with them that really has them say yes. And probably the biggest epiphany I had early on was that I was in a conversation with a woman. I coached her two or three or four sessions because I was giving away a lot of sessions at that point. And we started talking about, I'd proposed something and she was afraid about spending the money. And I started to realize like this conversation that we're having now about her fears about committing to her life being different is the most important coaching conversation I've ever had with her. Because yeah. everything else was great, like how to shift her feelings and limiting beliefs. But it was like, okay, but all that's fine. But if she doesn't make a commitment, put something on the line, get supported to actually have her life be different, nothing's going to change. And so then when I got that, I was like, oh, my God, I have to get really good at having conversations with people about committing to change their life, which is basically say, I mean, it's basically sales, right, in a coaching context. It's like, how do yeah. I – how do I get people to say yes to changing their lives and put money on the line and get supported by me? So that's when I sort of got obsessed with like, okay, I have to get really good at this because this is the life-changing conversation. And I think it was at that point that my business really took off because I, like a lot of coaches before that, I was like, well, I, I just want to do the coaching. I have to do sales. I don't want right. to. And it flipped for me. I was like, well, the coaching's great, but honestly, if I can just get them to sign up and pay something and make a commitment, then things will change. If all I do is coach them, they're screwed and I'm screwed and they're just you know, it's over. So, so what did you find in when you said, okay, that's what I need to do. I need to be able to have that conversation to get people to commit to changing their lives. What did you have to do to be able to, to shift to that, to move to, obviously you did it. So what changed for you? Well, I mean, first I had to change the way I was being or relating to selling. Yes. Yeah, we have a listening to or a way of relating to selling is it's dirty, it's slimy, it's manipulative, it's pressure. It's I mean, and the, this is the biggest beef I have with most books on sales is that they create sales as an adversarial process. Mm. It is you versus the client as a salesperson. And and it's and they see, sales books see it as really adversarial. I mean, even the prosperous coach has a feeling tone of this where there's a little bit of adversarial and it's sort of like, well, the, you know, you just say your price and you know, it has this adversarial way of doing it. And what I realized is it was not me versus the client's fears and objections. It was me and the client together versus their fears, doubts, and limitations to get to the dream that they wanted to have, the being they wanted to create. So if I could just get with them, look at the thing in the way, which was not them or me, this thing in the way of the commitment and work with them. By the way, the same way that I do, this is all coaching ever is, right? I mean, right. the doing of coaching is there's something you want. Here's where you're at. There's something in the way. Let's coach to close the gap. That's it. That's coaching. Yeah. So wouldn't you say that 
that really you just brought the beingness of coach into your sales conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Instead of like they had to pay you first, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I had to, I had to change the way I related to sales fundamentally, and also understand that a conversation on commitment is just different than a regular coaching conversation. Got it. Because in a regular coaching conversation, there's a natural you create and relieve tension. Mm-hmm. So there's like a thing the client works on. You then start to examine the thing. You zoom out. You zoom in on it. You're building this tension. And then what happens is there's an insight, a shift in perspective that relieves the tension. Typically, sometimes it creates a new tension. So there's a natural. This is how really great coaching is like. You know, it's like that, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. And but commitment, and that's hard because coaches love that. They love the clients getting that. They get addicted to that. We love it, right? It's great. Commitment conversations are you build and build and build and hold that tension and you don't relieve it. If you relieve it, you lose the tension. The only way to to release the tension of a commitment conversation is to have the person either commit or not commit or not commit. And so that's the other thing that was hard for me to do as coaches to realize to stand for somebody in regular coaching is to not have an agenda to let them guide the conversation to support them what they want in a commitment conversation. The way to stand as a coach is to stand for what it will actually take for this person to change their lives and to refuse to compromise what would be re- what you and the client believes is required to make that change, no matter what they say or do, even if changing that would have them say yes, it's to stand for that because you believe that that's the commitment required to make that change. So it's a different way of standing. It's, I mean, super important. And actually coaches need to really learn how to do that, but um, it's, it's different. And so it's a transition. All the conversations up to that point are build, release, build, release. And this one conversation, you just hold and, and keep the client in the tension in a way that supports them to make a powerful choice. I love that. Wow. That's great. There's so much energy involved. It seems like, right? Like you're almost, you're building up that energy, the tension, the, it's like you can feel and, and hold that energy. Um, do you feel like, oh, let me actually just ask you the simple question of uh, looking at your own energy as a coach and just a human person, are you more introverted or extroverted? I'm, I'm definitely extroverted, but I like alone time and silence, but I'm definitely extroverted. I definitely get energy from people. Cool. Yeah. And you, and so you, when you're holding that space and you're building tension and, and, you know, you, you do a lot of coaching, um, you're energized by that. Is there anything you've learned about how to like, how to create that container in a way that doesn't drain you or, you know, overlap into other areas of your life? Cause you're holding a lot of energy, I, I would imagine. Yeah. I mean, it's energizing and exhausting. I mean, it's both, right. right. It's, um, hmm. cause you're, um, you are, you are, you're jet, you generate a lot as a coach. You generate your being a lot. I mean, you know, when you're perfect or having a really good day, I should say, you generate less, but you still generate. Right. Cause you know, in the face of humanity, you have to generate, you know? Um, and when I say face of humanity, I'm just saying all the stuff that keeps us from living from our essence or being who we possibly can be, you know, it's just a natural human tendency to negotiate, fix, you know, compromise natural human tendency. So, um, yeah, I mean, self-care is super important. 
Mm. I mean, the biggest thing for me is that I'm, I'm always being coached. I got into a bit of a thing with this with another coach who's very successful. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm always being coached. Just my, I'm, a, I'm a commitment that I always have a coach. So I'm supported. I'm in my own work. You know, so there's that. And then. Um, that's cool. Yeah. That may, you know, honestly, that's my favorite thing that you've said so far. Okay. I have a pet peeve. Coaches who don't have a coach. Yeah. Why would anyone want to pay you for something that you're not willing to pay somebody to do for you? You know? Yeah. Um, and it just it doesn't make any sense. If I'm not working on myself and growing, how am I gonna help somebody else? Yeah, there's a there's a there's a a saying in Zen or a quote from the Fukan Zazengi, which is this famous doctrine on practice. And the guy says he talks about these three people. He talks about the Buddha, talks about Bodhidharma, these people that are famous. And he says, you know, the Buddha, even after enlightenment, still meditated. Yeah. And Bodhidharma, after years of sitting, still meditated. And he said, how can we as practitioners dispense with practice? If the Buddha meditated, if Christ prayed, if Muhammad right. prayed, how can we stop practicing? Yes. And so I, you know, to me, the practice of being coached and have, and it's really like formally being coached, have someone who's challenging me, peer mentor, whatever, on a regular basis that has me be on my edge of possibility. That is the practice of living into my own possibility. And so if I'm going to hold other people to that practice of living into their possibility, I have to be there too. And if I yeah. think I can dispense with it, and there's saying, another saying in Zen, which is like, if you meet the Buddha on the road, kill him, which is like, if you think you're enlightened, you're, fucked you're in huge trouble so if you think i don't need coaching or this is the thing i got from the i a coach post is like oh i'm coached by everybody that doesn't mean anything okay that doesn't mean anything yeah that's a meaningless that's not, that's not a commitment life. to anything that's yeah, yeah. oh i'm coached by everybody okay great yeah you and all the gurus that abused all their people are you know, yes. coached by god i, I mean hmm. great so be coached by god and also have a coach i mean yes. you know i'm it's not limiting. You can't, it's like, Oh, if I have a coach, God's going to ignore me. It's okay. <laughs> Can I be coached by God through another person? Mm. Right. So, um, that's why I'm a commitment to that. And it's, um, I know a lot of really great coaches who either don't have a coach or they don't really have a coach that pushes them. They hire yes. coaches that are kind of consultants or don't, you know, they aren't really having them be on the edge. And so, but it's, it's hard. I mean, it's hard, you know? And, and I mean, I've definitely gotten to a certain level where it's like, there's a, a lot of people, I, I got to a place where I started to believe, well, there's not, I don't, you know, there are not many people who can coach me. And then I had a friend say to me one time, she goes, well, you get to decide who can coach you. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, there is actually a way that I can let, I can let anyone coach me, even if they're a bad coach, I can show up in a way and be generous and listen and see what's available for me in any situation. So I need to let go of that arrogance, that stench of Zen and be like, okay, can I, in a way, can I let everyone coach me, but could I let even a coach that it doesn't have a lot of experience coach me? And I can still get something for that. I mean, I will say I do still look for coaches that have a certain way of being sure. connecting that I don't have, but I'm like, I can't imagine a world in which I could never find that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe in one area of my life where like, I don't really feel like I would want coaching around that. But I could see another area like, okay, there's there's places to grow there. Always, always. Yeah. So what's next for your coaching business? What are you building? What are you what are you doing? What's what's happening? What's the next evolution? 
Yeah, that's a good question. I've been in a really interesting place for the last year and a half where I've been a little uncertain about what I'm committed to next. I was really driven for a long time, super ambitious, kind of a workaholic. And I, I kind of got off that train and I've been trying to figure out what it means to be on purpose without being obsessed or maybe unhealthily obsessed. A little obsession's good. Mm-hmm. So there's kind of two things that I'm really excited about. So one is um, I started a, a mastermind for coaches called the Coaching MBA. And what I what I really want to, it's the same thing I did inside the dojo, which was all about mastery. It's like, okay, how do you be a master coach in your business? How do you show up to every aspect of your business with the same presence, possibility, and leadership you show up with your clients? You know, too. Because to me, what happens, I mean, what happens is that coaches have a certain way of being, they show up in their business and they sort of lose it all. They get it yeah. weird. And so um, I got fascinated with like, can I, can I help coaches that are really talented build a foundation to have a really successful business. Cause I want great coaches to be successful. Yes. Cause the truth is great coaches that are successful, make other great coaches that are successful, inspire other coaches to be great. And there are a lot of coaches that are, I would say mediocre who are successful. And then people think, well, great, I should be mediocre. And that's fine. I mean, a mediocre coach is better than no coach, but I want there to be great coaches who are successful. So that's one yes. project I'm working on. And the second thing I'm working on is I'm working on a book. Mm. Um, which I've titled a few different things, transformational selling, coaching beyond yes or no. That's really about uh, the thing that I said to you before, which is like, how do we as coaches have a sales conversation that is essentially transformational, that's essentially powerful. And so I've spent a couple of years, I got like 60,000 words right now. I'm sure it'll get edited way down, but that's both uh, a lot of the philosophy and things that I've talked about, but also here's the process. Here's, Here's what you say here is here's how you deal with this response. So it's both philosophical and also like a reference step-by-step manual. Cause I, what I find is that coaches, I mean, that's not how I learned, but coaches do sometimes really need, here's what I say when, cause there's something about learning the doing that helps you kind of access the being you're looking for. Yeah. And if there's a framework that you can use as a jumping off point. Yeah. Well, that's great. That's great. Yeah. It is probably the geekiest coaching selling book that exists in the world. I mean, like, I don't know if anyone's going to read it. It's it's super geeky. Oh, oh, I'm going to read it. (laughs) Yeah, I want to read it. I'm definitely going to read it. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm trying to finish out the first draft here in the first six months of the year, and then I need to get an editor to work on it. But I'll I'll probably get beta readers and stuff like that for it. So, yeah. Yeah. Bill's raising his hand. He's volunteering. Yeah, sign me up as a beta reader. Um, I want to go back for a second. One thing that in working with you, Toku, um, that I've, it's just the most apparent thing is that you're, and maybe this is like what differenti- differentiates you from, um, and again, not to talk bad or put down, but the coaches that might not be as serious or legitimate or, um, you know, they just slapped up coaching and, and they have that amazing intention, but they might get a lot of, um, judgment because they don't have the certifications or the experience, so on and so forth. It's an interesting topic, but you are legit. Like that's the, that's what I've seen so far is you take it very seriously. You're a very powerful coach, even on this, in this conversation, like the way you speak is very powerful. Um, what do you think make up like a legitimate coaching business? Like what are some of the nuts and bolts that people don't think about? Like, money and structure like what are these things and i think that's what is is in the coaching mba um, what does that look like 
it starts with why, why are you a coach and having a really clear reason why you've chosen to do that. Um, and here's my purpose or here's what I'm trying to create. Um, and I think that there's can be people try to hide their authentic desire. It could be they want to be famous or they want to, you know, but it's mm. sort of like, what, what are you, what's, what are you in it for you? And then what are you in it for the world? Cause the best coaches are in it for the world, at least in part. So that's part of it. So what's your why? And then kind of figuring out what's your essence and what does it mean to be a, to be a coach, understanding some of this ontology or ways of being. So it starts with the why or your commitment or your declaration of what you're creating as a coach. That's number one. And then you really have to learn like, okay, um, once you have that foundation, you have to learn how do I create commitment with people, you know, and to not see is to start to see, I mean, this is sort of the fundamental, the, the bottom line of all of it. Can you see everything in your coaching business as in service of the why of your coaching? Because we like to segment out. We like to say, well, everything's in service of my coaching, but I have to do sales. That's not really in service of my coaching. Well, that's BS. Or I have to coach, but I, you know, I, have to, I don't want to think about my taxes or accounting. I was really bad with my money at first. I don't want to think about money. That's you know, this problem that I have to deal with. Okay, well, that's not including that. So how can you include everything inside your business into the purpose? So your sales your marketing? Can you include how you show up as a leader? Because everything you do inside your business, anything you declare is you improving yourself as a coach, right? What I support my clients to do is declare things and then create or live into that declaration, make what they say is going to happen, happen. So can you do that? Can you say, I'm going to do this and then do it? Because if you can't, your integrity is just so low that you never do. I mean, no one's perfect, but that you just never do that. You just say stuff and just don't do it. How are you going to support your clients to do it? You don't believe you, you, you can even do it. And then how do you manage? What is your relationship with time? Because time is what takes half coaches down. And then what's your relationship with money? And how do you have a relationship with money and time that comes from that being a coach? And so um, to me, the most legitimate coaching businesses are the people who find a way to connect all the aspects of their businesses to the commitment and being they have as a coach. That's what makes you legitimate in my mind. That's what I would assert. That's great. You know, you, uh, you wrote something about your relationship with money. Mm, I did. Oh, I'm scared you did. now. Yeah, don't worry about it. It's okay. And, and I love it. I love it. I want to read it because I love it. Money is a plaything of the most delightful kind. It is my building block and Play-Doh a magical substance that is empty, that is as empty as it is lovely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I wish I could tell you, Bill, that I always relate to money that way. <laughs> well, the fact that you even related to it that way for a minute. Yeah, that's my intention. Know, that's how I yeah. want to create money. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like you, you have a clear intention about it. None of us are, uh, our stuff comes up, right? <laughs> yeah. Stuff doesn't go away. But the fact that you have that intention, I mean, I read that and went, ooh, yes, that is a great way to look at money. Yeah. That's not the habitual societal narrative about money, which is money is a judgment of worth, inherent worth or value. Judgment is money is a source of power and status. I mean, there's truth to all of those things, but... Time, time is the other one that really trips people up. But like, yeah, we get to choose the way we relate to money, you know. And I, I really transformed my relationship to money. I, I remember growing up, 
Mike Tabitha will share his budget with us. I don't know why he did that. But then like we just would have these just just knock down, drag out. I mean, not physically, but like really lots of angry conversations about money. And I was all like, dad, you're too much about money. And he was like, you're too irresponsible. And you don't, you know, it was like that kind of thing. And I just was like, I don't, money is a source of pain, a source of shame for me. I never felt like I was very good with it. Um, it's weird now because it's like, I, I have a lot of financial abundance and I don't even, I kind of don't even notice it anymore. I certainly could make more money. Yeah, we all could, but it's not a, I just sort of deal with it. Just sort of like, okay, this is a thing to deal with, a thing to relate to. And I have generally find that like when I want something, if it costs a certain amount of money and I'm really committed to it, I can create the money to get there. I'm going to have a, that kind of relationship with it. It took me a while to get there. Yeah. The, the one thing I will say about money that I think coaches often forget, I hear a lot of coaches being like, well, you know, it's not about the money. And I would say 80% of the times the coaches that say that aren't making any money. <laughs> yeah. And I, that it is true. But I will say the realization that it's not about the money that you get after you've made some money is really different than you saying that before you've made any money. It is possible for you to declare that and live into that before you've made any money. But what I have found is that the coaches that have made some money and created some competency and comfort with the ability to create financial resources or to tie coaching mastery to their commitments and to generate an income from coaching. When they step into like, okay, it's not really about the money. It feels more substantive and real. You know, I don't think you have to do it, but I think it really helps. And I, one thing I really think that, again, it's back to sales. It's sort of like coaches like, well, it's not about the money. It's about the coaching and the impact. I'm like, yeah, but if you really want to like a master coach makes money. I think there's two two different parts to that in what kind of what you just said about how as coaches how we relate to money. Everybody, probably everybody I've ever met, and certainly every client I've ever had, has some work to do around transforming their relationship to money. Uh, and yes, it's not about the money. I always say I don't coach people for money, but you have to pay me. Yeah, I, I got to this really interesting place. I wish I could track the journey more closely for you, but I got to this interesting place where I was like, oh no, but it, it, it is about the money, even though I just said that it wasn't. So I'll, I'll just be straight with my clients. Like you pay my rent. Yeah. You pay my rent. I want to sign you because you're going to pay my rent. Now, yes. it is by acknowledging the truth of that that I'm a hopefully, fingers crossed, able to set that aside and have that not be in the space. But what I think a lot of coaches do is they're like, well, I don't want to admit that I want them to pay me because I'd like to buy a new car. I want to hide that truth for myself from them because it yeah. feels icky to admit that I want people, I want money. Because we have these ideas like I shouldn't want money and people want money are greedy. And I'm like, well, no, I, I totally want money. And my, my admission that I would like to make money and I'd like to get paid more by clients allows me to say, great, it is my responsibility as a coach, being a stand for possibility, to be responsible for any impact or influence that desire has in our conversation and put it aside. And the only way to do that is to acknowledge it and, and yes. work for it. So that I can then step into a conversation where it isn't, it isn't about money. Right. So it's, like, it's like weird. It's like it sort of has to become about money. And you have to acknowledge where it is about money so you can put it aside and then make it not about money. And the other thing people don't get is that always is that tying a commitment the client paying you 
is is a is a huge part of their commitment mm. and they have to feel it yeah you know i've had clients I, i've taken uh, pro bono clients who disappeared when it got uncomfortable because they don't have that kind of commitment um i've had clients that were paying me what i thought was good money but it clearly wasn't uh enough for them to really show up and do the work yeah does that make sense yeah. like they'd show up and they'd kind of you know eh, eh, but if they'd been paying me double that i promise they would have done everything i asked them to do yeah yeah i think it was steve chandler that said in our day and in our in our time there's nothing that's quite a good stand-in for commitment as money yeah because you can be i mean you know when i lived in the monastery i was incredibly committed but i was i wasn't paying a lot of money sure but i mean i stuck to this there's a there was a lot of things i had to abide by i had to stick to the schedule i had to do work there was other commitments that were aligned so i want to be clear I've, I've had clients that have paid me less i've been very committed because their level of commitment is really high so it's there's not a people are like well it's not a perfect correlation i'm like it's absolutely not a perfect correlation and it's different for everybody it's for everybody. And like you, I have found that as I have raised my rates, two things happen. One, the conversation that I started having people about the nature of the commitment they were making changed. And two, the kinds of people that showed up and were ready to make that commitment changed. Yeah. Not perfectly. I mean, I have clients I do discounts with and they're very, very committed, you know? So but what I noticed is as I raised my rates, that changed. But again, I think a little bit of that is like, okay, well, how am I relating to what my fee is? Am I relating to my fee is like, well, I'm such a good coach, so I'm going to charge more and I'm super smart and so you should pay me. If I'm relating to it like that, well, that's going to have a certain result. The way I'm being about money is the proof of my greatness versus like I'm raising my rates because I want, I want to be in a conversation with people where they're like, I got to figure out how to generate, create, or invest $40,000 to work with this guy, that's yeah. a juicy conversation. Yes. You know, for most people, for most people. Um, there are people who for that would be not a commitment at all. Anyway. Um, Toku, someone who's just starting out coaching. Yeah. You mentioned earlier that you um, I think you said you worked with clients for free, maybe even, I don't know if you worked with 70 clients for free or if it was. I did like 70 sessions. 70 sessions. Okay. Yeah. So what would you say if someone's starting out? Um, Cause I think practice is so important. You can't just plan and learn. You have to actually do it. So what would you recommend someone starting out that they do? Do they go offer their coaching service to services to people for free and get a certain amount under their belt? Or there's also the argument, some people say, don't do free coaching. What's your opinion there? Uh, I have like a nice little Rubicon. I don't like Rubicons. Sometimes they feel cheesy, but I have a Rubicon for this. So I, and I, I might change because I've, I've, I've revamped it. So, okay, so the first thing is be coaching. So no matter what, if you're not coaching, coach. So it doesn't matter who you coach. Coach your friend, coach your neighbor, coach your dog, coach yourself, be coaching. If you're not being, if you're not being in the relationship as coach with people, get into a relationship where you are being coach with people, no matter what. So if you're not, if you're, if you have no clients, do not pass go, do not collect $200, find somebody to coach or to be a coach with. That's number one. 
Second is get coaching. Just find a way to get coached. And some people are like, well, the first one should really be like get coaching. And I, I get that. And that is probably more important. But what I find is there are a lot of people who have coaches and then they don't go and coach. And so I'm like, well, it's actually more primary if you want to be a coach to coach and then get coaching. But they're pretty close. So the second would be get coached. The third is charge something for your coaching. Anything. The chasm between $0 and $1 is bigger than the chasm between 1 and 5. And the chasm between 1 and 5 is a bigger chasm than 5 and 500. Like As it goes up, the chasm actually gets smaller. Raising my rates from 25K to 40K was a much smaller impact than raising my rate from $500 a month to $1,000 a month. That was a huge uplift. So, yeah. you know, it, it, you know, and there's levels that people get stuck at. So just charge something for your coaching. The, I'm on three. The fourth one is raise your rates. So just find a way to raise your rates over and over and over again. So if you're charging a dollar, charge the next person $2. Charging that person $2, charge the next person 4 eight, 10. I mean, that's literally what I did. I just kept raising my rates and I would go, I mean, I, I, you know, I don't know if it was like this. It was like, like this, right. It was back and forth, back and forth. I'd go back down and sign a few clients. So that's, you know, four raise rates. Five is charge more than you think you possibly can get. If you just do that and making sure you handled the one before that always. So if you like are raising your rates and you don't get any clients, go back and go to coaching. Okay, I have to be coaching. What do I got to do? Drop my rates, coach for free, go back to coach. Okay, now do I have a coach? Great. No, I have a coach. Great. So I'm charging something. Great. Now charge more. Just, you know, if you just do the next thing. Um, and then, you know, great. Once you're charging more, now at some point you got to take a big leap of like, I'm going to charge a crazy amount. If you just do those five things, you'll be fine. Every coach I know that have just done those five things while prioritizing the thing lower on the list always grows their coaching practice, inevitably. I've never heard a better answer than that around pricing. And, and you could honestly apply that to anything, not just coaching, which is so cool. So um, great answer. I have uh, one more question that's low hanging fruit. So, I, so I'm okay. sorry, but <laughs> I, no, I, think I love low hanging fruit. Right? It's easy to agree. It tastes as good as all the other. <laughs> we still got it. Still gonna eat it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're right. No, you're right. it's not like I, the I best apples at the top of the tree. Always. Sometimes there's a great apple right there. It doesn't have to be hard. Very true. <laughs> Sorry, um, I got a little coach. I love coach you with here for a minute. You know. Got to extract my I ex, uh, extract my um, apology. So, how? Let's see. How do I ask this? How do you get clients? Um, in your experience, what has been for you personally one or two things that has has really worked for uh, being able to get coaching clients? Yeah. So, I mean, I actually have done and then recommend coaches do what's called like a conversation challenge, 50 or hundred conversation challenge. Um, I think that's a great way to get out there and just be coaching people. So that's a great start. I think the mistake people make is they do that and they're like, I'm going to get a bunch of clients. Well, you might, I mean, the breakdowns are actually pretty common. Like they do that, but they do one post and they don't follow up with it. Hmm. Or they like get people on coaching calls, but they don't offer them coaching. They do proposals, but the proposals are really weak. So, you know, there's stuff that there's mistakes that people typically make in that process. So, so conversation challenge is, let's say it's 50 in a month or something. You just try to create conversations period. Yeah. So you create some context for the challenge ideally, but you can, the context could be, I'm a new coach. I just want to talk to people. That's a fine mm -hmm. context. There's this weird thing that new coaches do that. They're like, I don't want to, I don't want anyone to know that I'm new, Right. but you are new. 
<laughs> it's just deceptive. Like I want to look really professional. And what's funny is like, I mean, unless they had a background in business and marketing, if you go to a new coach's website, you can tell they're a new coach. It's just not that yeah. hard to tell. Right. It's just <laughs> obvious. Like, oh, this feels a little fake. And so people know that you're new. There's nothing wrong with being new. I mean, right. everyone's new at some point. I mean, I, I hope my deepest wish is that every client I had a year ago would be super disappointed that was the coaching I was giving them. But they got in a session a year from now, they'd be like, oh my God, why weren't you doing that with me? That's so much better, right? So there's this like weird shame of like, well, my coaching's not great right now. We're like, okay, fine. So your coaching, your coaching is a coaching. Even bad coaching's coaching. Right. So there's this weird, like, I got to pretend I'm super, you know, so I was just like, embrace it. Hey, I'm new. I'm passionate. I want to do this. I'm, you know, would like to work with people. And I, I find that people are really more than open to doing that, you know? And so um, I have a little handout thing that I can, that if people want, I can send to you, um, which yeah. is like how to do this process. But basically, yeah, you make a declaration. I'm doing a 50 conversation challenge. You find groups to post in. It's also a great way to learn how to do marketing because you're basically creating a context, a story, you're attracting people, you're learning how to get them on the calls, you're yes. learning how to schedule with them, you're learning how to have conversations. So to me, that's a great place for most coaches to start. I mean, the fundamentals of growing a business have never been very different in any industry. You have to figure out a way to make people aware of, aware of your existence. So how do I have people be aware of your, my existence? And there's just not that many ways to do it. So I can either go out and just meet people directly, which is hard during COVID. I mean, a lot of the stuff I did earlier on was networking events. You know, it's hard. You got to meet people directly and connect with them. I have to create things that people will be interested in saying yes to, webinars, blog posts, things like that, have people be interested in. Or I've got to partner with other people that have an audience that can will let me put them in front of them, which, by the way, is the way I grew my list originally. It was very effective, guest blog posting. But there's a million ways to solve that problem. But the, the problem or the thing you have to find a solution for is the same. How do I make people aware of me? Yeah. And it's different for everybody. Right. So you, you got to, you got to figure that out. It's the simplest way is just go meet people, go talk to your network, go introduce yourself, say, Hey, I'm, could you, do you know anybody who I could coach? Could I coach you? You know, just, just connect with people and then invite them into coaching. So, uh, cause most of the breakdown for new coaches is not in the realm of marketing. It's actually in the realm of sales. If they simply, were able to take people who were, who liked them and were interested in them and turn them into clients, they would have plenty of clients to then go out and figure out marketing. Where most coaches obsessed with this is the marketing of like, well, if I just get a bunch of people coming to me, but when you start out with coaching, you don't really know enough about what you're offering and the kind of people you want to work with because it's a very weird thing, unless you're just really good at marketing, which some coaches are. Um, you don't know. You don't really kind of know the people you want to work with. You don't know what you're good at. You don't know like, so you got to just go out and figure it out. You're going to make a guess. I mean, I made a guess. It, it was a good guess, right? I was a Zen guy. I should do mindfulness coaching. It seems obvious. <laughs> I'm like, okay, well, what do people want for mindfulness? Well, they want happiness. I mean, it just seems obvious, but it was just so wrong, you know? And so I had to go back again and go like, okay, well, that wasn't it. Okay, so then let me look at it from this way. Who do I like to be with? That's these people. And so then I made another guess and that was more right. And then I had to pivot again and make a new guess, right? So it's... It's this process of guessing, but it's, um, again, the fundamentals never change. You got to make people aware of you. The easiest way to do that is talk with them directly. You got to get into a conversation with them that has them be present to possibility. You got to invite them then into coaching. You got to demonstrate what coaching is. And you got to get them in a conversation about commitment. You got to create that commitment. And that's how you build a coaching practice. It's not easy, but it is simple. 
And the mistake a lot of coaches make is they're looking for the shortcut. And I remember very specifically when I had this realization, it was before I started doing the prospect coach thing. I was like, oh, there's no shortcut. I was like this big epiphany, like, oh, there's no shortcut to this thing. There's no way to really, I might shortcut it, but then I kind of screw myself over in the end because I can't actually, you know, I won't actually have learned this part. It's like, oh, the shortcut is to give up on the idea of shortcuts. If I just accept, I have to become a master at connection. I have to get masterful at taking that connection and having people see that there's a way they can work with me as a coach. I have to get masterful at coaching them in a way that has them be present to possibility, excited about their lives. I have to be masterful, have a conversation and commitment. And I have to become masterful at serving that client in such a way so that they're present to possibility that has them share that possibility with other people. Okay. If I master all those things, it'll happen like that. And it, I mean, and it did, right? Like for me, I went, I struggled for six months. I just I let go of shortcuts. Within a year, I was a six-figure coach. Because I was like, okay, well, there's no way to, I just got to learn it. I just got to do the work. I got to learn it. I got to master it. I got to get supported. And so the, it's the shortcut of mastery, you know, which is the opposite of what we think is a shortcut. But every coach I know is looking for some hack or some, and I'm just like, you know, there's no hack. You got to figure out how, what is your way you're going to get people interested in you. And everyone's way is unique. I can tell you my way, but it's like, well, here's the numbers I picked for the lottery. Well, that worked great for me, but <laughs> That world doesn't exist that I did that in. That person who did it no longer exists. I'm not even that person anymore. You know, like I I was, I I remember one time I was sitting with um, Leo Babata, who writes a blog, Zen Habits, and Jonathan Fields, who writes Good Life Project and does the Good Life Podcast, very famous podcast. And they were talking about how they became popular. And they were telling the story about how like some early internet blog site and it was moderated. And the moderators really liked the writing. So they kept posting them on the main page. And they both got really big. And then, of course, everything grew from there. And a lot of audit, it was just so new. So I started to think about it. I was like, there's just no way for me to replicate that strategy. No. The place the internet was, the way blogs were at the time they started blogging, that doesn't exist anymore. Now, I can take elements of that. I'm like, okay, well, they found a place where the, where the editors were in control of what got featured. I could find other places where there's editors in control of features, figure out what they like, write content they like, they will feature me and I can grow an audience. Now that's a viable strategy, but the way that they got successful, I can't exactly copy that perfectly. And so even though I can tell people like, well, here's the way I did it, it's not actually possible for you to copy it. You can take elements of it, but, and I think more importantly, if you don't solve the problem. If you don't learn how do I, as an explorer, go from this river to this mountaintop, then essentially you're never going to have that internal knowing and being and trusting that I know how to go from a river to a mountaintop. Mm-hmm. You could drop me in Montana and I can build a coaching practice because I know I can go from here to here because I've done it over and over and over again. If I get the shortcut, then I'm like, well, if I have a special gondola, I can get there. But if I have the gondola, I'm screwed. I don't want my coaches to get that. I want them to have this feeling in their body. I can trust myself to create what I, I to create a business from nothing. And that's what I want them to get. Because if they get that, then that's real power. That's real possibility. It's not some gimmick. It's not some process. It's the being of I am the possibility of building a coaching practice. Wow. Where, where can coaches who are listening go to find you? Where are we sending them? Uh, that's great. I'm like, I'm like, well, Miles is building a yeah. new website for me. So, so Miles, uh, where are we be, sending them? It'll be live. <laughs> Coachingmba.co. Dot, dot co. Okay. 
coachingb.co. And then if you're interested in executive coaching, unexecutive.com is my coaching website. The good thing about having being a Zen guy with a a Scotch Irish last name is also if you just search Toku McCree, you're bound yeah, you to come find up. me. Oh yeah, yeah, you are the only one. You come. There's up. no. There's yeah. a lot of Tokus and there's a bunch of McCrees, yeah. but there's no Toku McCrees in the internet no, for me. So you're you it. could also just search my name. It's quite easy. <laughs> well, man, I uh, I can't thank you enough for spending this time with us. I we could I could keep doing this for another hour, so we'll have to have you back at some point and yeah, happy to you know find some other aspect of. The, the great coaching journey to geek out on. It's awesome. Thank you. Thanks for your time. I, I want to acknowledge both of you for your commitment and your curiosity. And it's great just to be with both of you. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Sophie. Hey, thanks for listening today. We'd really appreciate it if you could just take a sec and follow us on your favorite podcast listening platform. That would help us out tremendously. And of course, if you ever want more information about upcoming episodes or past episodes or anything else about the show, you can go to subtleartofnotyelling.com. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.